What's up, Pain and Profits podcast listeners? I'm Darius Bell, executive producer of The Pot. Today's episode is a sit-down with Samson and the CEO and president of the Water Valley Company, Martin Lind. If you're in Northern Colorado, you likely know that name. If you're outside of Northern Colorado, you should know that name, and today's podcast is going to help. So open your favorite note-taking app or grab a piece of pen and paper and enjoy today's podcast with Martin Lind. Without further ado, Martin, incredibly grateful for you coming here and being on the show. You're a dude who I seriously look up to as somebody who loves real estate and development. And I've had the pleasure of walking alongside of you in a great men's group and Bible study for the last three years. We're doing our first deal together as well, which is pretty awesome. It's exciting, yeah. It's very exciting. And um, I'd love the audience to just get to know who the heck is Martin Lynn? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And uh, and just give us the backstory. Awesome. Well, it's an honor to be here, Samson. Um, you know, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> I want you to give me it all. You know, you're not paying me for this, so you get what you pay for. Yeah. You know, free advice, you get what you pay for. So, I like it. Yeah. So, no, literally, it's amazing. Your little office right here is two miles from where I grew up. I grew up just east of here on a farm and um, family farm. My grandpa started it back in the 30s. My dad took it over. In the seventies, thank God we went broke farming it in the eighties, and I, I had to go do something else. And <laughs> and uh, I did learn a great work ethic. I learned a lot about dirt and water rights and those kind of things. So right. I I came back and leaned on that back when I was entrepreneurian. I never really uh, didn't really like working for people, so like doing my own deal. And I'd buy a car, mark it up, paint it, whatever, sell it, and did some of that. And uh, just every time I got a little bit ahead, there's a big word called risk in my business. And I, I've never been risk adverse. I don't mind risk. And yeah. it'll get you. But uh, grace of God, I'm still here. So, <laughs> yeah. But I literally grew up two miles from where we're sitting right here. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. I, I love that story of just a farm kid. Did you go to college? I had six months of college. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, I tell everybody I kept my I was in Iowa. Okay. Which I learned a lot about real estate. I don't know how anybody could ever live in Iowa if they know what it's like in Colorado. So true. Yeah, I, I had uh, this vision of playing football. Made one semester. Tell everybody I kept my GPA and my blood alcohol the same number for six months. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty close too. Yeah, but yeah, I came back home and started farming. And crazy mid eighties was uh, high interest rates. We were paying eighteen percent interest on a operating line and it just wiped us out some hailstorms here and there and you, there's just nothing left so 80s was a commodity boom and bust too right right yeah 70s was a boom 80s was kind of a bust um interest rates and inflation was rampant in the uh, late remember, 70s colorado got slammed in the 80s in oil and gas right everything yeah yeah you know this is my fourth recession that i'm going through right now and so the first one's kind of wig you but you really don't have enough when you're young in your career to really make a big difference. And then, you know, the big one for me was 08, and that was the Great Recession. That was a monster, and it recovered so slow. Um, so that was a tough one. We literally navigated that for 10 years and just battled every day for that one. But I was very heavily leveraged in 08, and uh, I had bought partners out, and I was really becoming very independent, and I had that Midas touch, 02 through 08, everything I touched was working, and yeah. thought I was a golden child, and then the recession hits in 08, and we realized just exactly how stupid I really was. So. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Aside from just 
you know, building great things and doing your work and growing your business, what, what motivates you? So I'm a family guy, right? And I grew up with a really great core family. And so the generation ahead of me was a quiet, I call it a quiet family. They didn't, you know, we weren't taught to be best friends with our parents. It's my generation that wanted to be best friends with our kids. Yeah. And it's kind of a, it was a paradigm shift in that. But, you know, my, we have 12 grandkids within a mile of my house. Um, It's like romper room. It's a daycare every time we go somewhere. And so... (laughs) So it's really that's really where our life's focused, and what I'm motivated on is um, I don't want to go anywhere. So I don't want to take any shortcuts now. Um, I don't want to take too great of risk that not for me personally, but for the community that I'm working. Yeah. And you know my communities are really core Windsor, yep. but we get into Loveland. We do quite a bit over here at the Loveland Airport um, and uh, Loveland Fort Collins Airport. But you know I call it NoCo, and I think where you and I are sitting right now is I call it downtown NOCO because we are in the very center of downtown of Northern Colorado. Yes. But I have some city councilmen that get pissed at me when I say that. So <laughs> because they spend all their tax dollars on their downtowns. Yes. So they say, quit calling it downtown. So I've nicknamed it uh, Lodo of NOCO. Lodo. Of so downtown. we're the lower downtown here. Yeah, so, but you know, downtowns have certain things and right where we're at has all those things. It does. And you, yeah. and you have some pretty big projects that are going in right, right. now. I think, I think it's kind of uh, what you would call the capstone to your real estate career. Last time we were talking about right. that, but you yeah. want to give a little color on what your big project is. If you so, can. so we're working on some pretty significant stuff, and it's really w- whether it happens or it doesn't happen really doesn't affect my portfolio because the land is the land, and so it's gonna something's gonna happen with it. But what what we're really striving for right now is bringing extraordinary to Northern Colorado, and so these projects are going to be extraordinary and. If they happen, God bless us all. If they don't, we're still going to be great. It's still a great place to live. But, you know, a water park hotel, mm. best in class. Um, it's up to 700 rooms right now. It's 85,000 square foot of heated uh, glass amphitheater type thing where the where the water. Sweet. It's cool. It's super cool. And it's called the uh, Rocky Mountain Grand Resort. Yeah, um, so that would be kind of a epicenter we're working with the county to build a new uh, event center and uh, three sheets of youth hockey and all of that would be cored around a new plaza which you know maybe on with no arrogance or to any scale but the la live when you have uh, concerts and events and you have a place to gather before an event a concert an eagles game whatever and then you have a place to post you know when the game's over right now you leave and go into empty parking lot yeah we want to go lead it into a vibrant music filled you know ice cream on this side cotton candy over there and beers over there right so that's what we're trying to create up here and it would be it'd be the lodo no co no question about it 100 percent uh for those of you listening because this is going nationally now but um you're still part owner in the eagles colorado eagles yeah we own it yeah yeah and so Eagles are the feeder team for the Avalanche. Correct. Colorado, we're, we're the so. American Hockey League franchise, yeah. And uh, if you haven't been to an Eagles game, man, in terms of, you know, we'll call it double-A hockey, those guys are legit. I mean, we're talking some – and they kick ass. And every game I've gone to, they've won. I've never seen them lose. Well, that's uh, – you need to come to more games because we've had our share of <laughs> But, we, uh, you know, we have a kid that would play right here in the Bud Center on a Friday night get called up and he's playing on NHL ice down at the Avs on a Saturday night. And it's really cool. And we've got, you know, our, our core mission as the Eagles in the American hockey league 
is to develop players, period. That's, yeah. that's you know, when we started the Eagles, it was an entertainment league. We were in what was called the Central Hockey League, which has since gone bankrupt and they're not around anymore. But they were great athletes, but they weren't really the top. They would They would be guys that have either been at the show and coming back down because of age or injury, or they're guys that really want to do it, but they just their skills just aren't going to make it there. And so the CHL was more of an entertainment league, and it was great hockey, and it was great athletes. But we then moved up to the East Coast Hockey League, which is interesting because we're not on the East Coast, but it had expanded all the way out to California, so we were in that. And then we had the opportunity to buy this American Hockey League franchise. And how that happened is um, Las Vegas got the expansion rights from the NHL. And the AHL and the NHL are on parity. So there's one for one franchise. And for whatever reason, they had an opportunity to develop players in Chicago. So they didn't need the American Hockey League ticket. So I've got a really good friend down at the Avs, Craig Billington. He called today. We have like two days to make this decision. And, and it's a big <laughs> you decision. You were his guy. Right? It's a big decision. So we, we went and we made the decision. And again, entrepreneurial, you take risk. Yeah. Um, sometimes you don't have time to hedge all the performers and. Yes, you just have to go in your gut, but um, it's been a good decision. It, it kind of it took away a, quite a bit of our ability to recruit our own team because right now that team that plays for us is the Avalanches. Those are their players, their coaches. That is their entertainment, and but it's their development. Mm. But what it is is um, we're we're one of only you know there's one for one. So for every NHL team, there's only one AHL team. So we now have an incredible franchise value associated with that. Um, That's awesome. With that team, yeah. That's amazing. Did you ever want to own a sports team, or is that just kind of no, <laughs> no, Samson? I I grew up wearing my brother's used pants, and you know, we we were below poverty line without a doubt, and, and loved every minute of it. You know, you don't know what you don't know if you're not missing it. So yeah, but um, yeah, again, I grew up two miles from here on a tractor, farming, um, feeding cattle, feeding pigs, and. And uh, the thought of ever even being in around hockey, we didn't have hockey here, yep. but anything to do with minor league sports or professional sports was, was uncomprehendable. Love sports. I love the competition of it. Um, um, I'm very competitive. And I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better be competitive. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you need to have tenacity. You need to have tenacity attached to uh, ethics, morals, and kind of a high barometer for uh, – integrity but you better uh, be ready to battle yeah yeah you know at the crux of everything you do it's really always real estate right so basically yep. the, mm -hmm. the budweiser event center was that your project as well, well it was we were involved in the 4-h kids wanted to move the fairgrounds out of loveland it was downtown loveland and a gentleman named louis swift owned this land out here and he had offered a great deal to the 4-h kids and the Budweiser Event Center wasn't part of that. It was just going to move the fairgrounds out. And then Ralph Backstrom had this vision of bringing minor league hockey up and building the Bud Center. And I got involved. It's kind of a long story, but long story short, I got to know Ralph and got to be involved in the ownership group of that deal. And one thing led to another. And it's, you know, it's an overnight success 20 years later. Now too, so <laughs> everything I'm doing is 20 or 30 years later, but it's... Uh, it's uh, the the Eagles weren't part of the core mission of the ranch. Neither right. was the Bud Center, but it it, it came out, came about, and now it's been the core building of the ranch, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Being a competitive guy, how do you challenge yourself outside of work and business? So, when I are you? How old are you? Thirty eight. Yeah. Okay. So when I 
challenged myself at your age. It had a lot more to do with adrenaline. <laughs> and now you you know it's that it's that old T-shirt with that guy that says you know I'm an old guy don't mess with me life sentence doesn't mean that much anymore. <laughs> so now you you just try to outwit it. But you know I I love activities. I love golfing. I love uh, fishing, hunting, and all those things. And so so I don't know what really the question is on the challenge, but you know I love working. Yeah. I love accomplishing. I love building things that nobody else would build. I like outthinking the mousetrap. Um, our projects, I think, have uh, stood the time. Yeah. People people love living in Water Valley. They love living in Rain Dancing. They're not subdivisions. They're communities. Yeah, for those of you who aren't from northern Colorado or know that, but, I mean, incredible, incredible housing communities that have gone up. Water Valley, how long ago was that, 20 years ago? So we started uh, Water Valley in 89, and it was just cornfields. The property belonged to Kodak. Yep. Kodak moved to Windsor back when I was a little kid, and uh, nothing happened in Windsor. Yep. So everybody thought Windsor was going to be the big city, and the big cities back then, Loveland, Fort Collins, and Greeley, had all the fun stuff. We didn't even have a restaurant in Windsor. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, everybody that came to work at Kodak just moved to the bigger cities. And what happened, it became really evident that Windsor's the middle of everything. Yeah. So they could drive over to Windsor, live in Loveland, Fort Collins, or Greeley, go to the movie theaters, go to the restaurants, go to the grocery stores, and Windsor just never grew. So when we bought that property in Windsor, it was only 4,000 people and got laughed out of quite a few community meetings. And when I showed them a 1,200-acre, you know, 3,000-home golf course community with lakes and um, and they look out the window and it's all cornfields and they're going, yeah, you're a freaking no vision, idiot. Man. Yeah, exactly. So, but Water Valley now has, you know, 2,500 homes or, or multifamily units and it has 800 acres of open space lakes, 27 holes of golf. Um, you can go on any of the 15 miles of trails and it's really, it's really a cool spot because it's live, work, play. And so the key was, the thought was, hey, when you're tired and you come home at night, you don't want to get back in your car, so hey, hop in a golf cart, go down to the driving range, go play some golf, go grab a fishing pole, go take a paddleboard, you know, go grab your, go catch a bass, go whatever. Yep. And and so you know, twenty twenty five years later, it's really manifested into a great place to live. And so when we were incubating Rain Dance, yep. I actually had originally named it Water Valley West, and uh, we wanted to put a big lake up there, and it's kind of where I got the name Rain Dance. Um, the gentleman, not the owner of the property I bought it from, but the farmer was a dear, long, lifetime friend and quite a bit older than me. And I, he asked me, what are you going to do with this? I said, I'm going to put a lake up here. And now you're talking about the highest hill in Windsor. <laughs> and it's the exact opposite of where you would put water. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you're going to need to do a rain dance to get water on this hill. And so I said, you know, awesome. I'm going to name it rain dance. And so that's where it came from. Yeah, that's awesome. But we changed it because water rights and it, it, the the Reality of it is that lake concept really wasn't economical, but I have agriculture history, Windsor, Northern Colorado. It, we're here because of agriculture. Yes. Like you can't, you, it's undeniable. There was no other industrialization of Northern Colorado was ag. And so we're vastly losing that as the communities develop and the new generations come in and they don't really. So what we want to do is preserve that ag. So we have working farms, we have orchards. Yep. Um, if you've been to Rain Dancers, there's yeah, tractors can, on every trail. You can pick corn, pick apples. Mm-hmm. You know, once upon a time, Colorado State was known as an agriculture school. Hey, the big A up on yeah. Horsetooth is Aggies. The that's Aggies. what that's for. That's yeah, right. So yeah. Northern Colorado is built on the back of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Who are the Who are the people in your life that have been most influential in your development? So you go you go all the way back to the core, and I had you know I had Ward and June Cleaver that were that raised me right. It your was parents? yeah. I mean they they just were rock solid church going. You know if you had pneumonia. You got slapped on the back of the head and you went to church on Sunday, right? It wasn't that's how it was, but but just incredible, hardworking core ethics. I had a grandma and grandpa that I lived on the farm. They were just a quarter mile up the road and a huge influence. Again, it wasn't that that coddling grandma and grandpa that took you out to Target and bought you every toy you wanted. It was yeah. that taught you those life lessons that your parents don't want to teach you. And um, yeah, my grandma was an incredible carpenter. So she taught a lot of that, but just crazy hard work ethic, crazy um, strong morality barometer, and just you know those are great molders. And yeah. then and then as you get older, and I think everybody knows this. Pretty soon your parents become people that are are they're the dumbest people on the planet, and you don't want to be around them. So you go look <laughs> for a new mentor, and, and until you pass that stupid cycle in your life, and you go, wow, my parents are rock solid, right? So, right. But, um, you know, I had a football coach in high school. We we had gone through – Windsor was kind of average in sports, and we had a whole bunch of us out. We were all excited for our senior year in football, and we had a brand-new coach come in, and he was like a Marine drill sergeant. And uh, there was 22 of us seniors. So Windsor wasn't very big, but there was 20-plus of us seniors that were out. And, gosh, you know how that is in high school. You're the big stud, and you're going to do this thing. And And this coach came in, and he had a completely different vision, and – he didn't care if he started with freshmen. He was not going to put up with it. And, and by two weeks into it, we had five of us seniors left, right? <laughs> and it was funny because he did everything he could to just torture me. And and he just didn't realize that if I didn't play football, I was at home cleaning pig pens or something much worse. So, right. But uh, he couldn't make it hard enough. No, <laughs> no. And he and I are great friends now. And his name's John Burke. But he was the one that, that, uh, you know, I we we won. We we were the first Windsor team to go to some state playoffs, and we we had a successful career. And uh, it was that tenacity and that don't give up, um, hard work pays dividends, those kind of things. And and it was kind of funny because I just hated him as a, a senior. I just loathed him, <laughs> but um, had a lot of fun post years with him, and uh, just. Yeah. Got got a different appreciation a different appreciation for him. You don't yeah you don't always appreciate it when you're getting served a no no yeah he tells a story all the time of how he broke his clipboard over my head because <laughs> he felt I was picking on the underclassmen and you know it, but he was wrong no he probably wasn't but his <laughs> his memory of me is completely different than my memory of his yeah I'm sure I'm sure but uh, yeah who, great guy how about your like business mentors and development mentors you know who. You, so so that's that's interesting. I, you know, I won't use any names, but I worked I, when I left farm. I was completely penniless, and I went and worked in the oil field, and I worked selling cars and trucks. And you know, to be very honest with you, a lot of my mentorship was when I watch affluence or people with money what I didn't want to be or mm-hmm. what I didn't want to do. And I watched a guy that had huge amount of money and investors everywhere. And it didn't matter how much money his investors made or lost, he won. And and that's kind of a neat deal when everybody's winning, but if there's one loser, it's pretty sad for that family. Yeah. Right? That family selling their house or whatever. So I knew I didn't want to do investor stuff. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to speculate with other people's money. So I could just tell I didn't want to live that life. I didn't wanna I didn't want to buy a new truck and have somebody else suffering because I bought a new truck. 
Right. So, so that was a lot of that mentorship was what I don't want to be when I grow up. So. That's so good because I th- I feel like sometimes there's this delusion that in order to go start a business, people need to go like raise money mm-hmm. or find investors or do whatever it may be, and that's generally not the case. And specifically, you know, the the audience for this is the late start entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and they've probably been working in a career for seven to ten years and thinking about making that leap and. They listen to the show because they're thinking about how to do that, and that you know they just got passed up on the last promotion or whatever it may be, and so they're they got this itch like I got to go, and they think they need to go get money to do it, and that's just not a reality, um, especially in real estate. And we're going to get into this because mm-hmm. I, I think that your story, especially over since two thousand and eight, which was a, a bender for you, is really important for everybody to listen to. How'd you decide on real estate as? So, path you wanted to go. so again, growing up farming, I loved the earth, loved the dirt, loved the production of it, and I knew a lot about it, and I knew a lot about water rights. So it just started little. You know, we I put together a small deal with uh, a friend of mine, and we we bought one small pro- property, sold it right away, had enough money left over to put a little down payment on the next one. Um, I taught, I have a gift of gab. I have the ability to sell. And, I couldn't tell. Right, exactly. So. <laughs> It's one of them gifts, and you know you have to use that tool. And and uh, I talked an awful lot of people into either lenders into loaning me money or owners of farms into owner carry. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we, we would buy one, borrow on it to buy the second, sell something off of it to pay off the first, borrow on the two to pay by the third, and it was just that's how we stacked up the dominoes. And, yeah, patience. And, yeah, and to be be very honest with you, there was there was no such thing as global cash flow. Um, there was no such thing really as a credit score back then. And I don't want to get dating myself too far back, but the lending institutions were way easier. Like you, you could kind of give them a a song and dance, and they'd go, "Yeah, that makes sense." Like a business plan, like hey, yeah. here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to put the yeah. deal together. Yeah the the thing that the thing that actually it's kind of humorous right now, but in '08 and '09, the FDIC was seizing and grabbing banks as fast as they could. They were shutting down. They were on a mission to shut down 3,000 community banks. Mm. And they were shutting down community banks in northern Colorado like crazy. So that would have been 08, 09, 010. And, and one, in fact, the largest community bank seized ever by the FDIC was right here in Greeley. So, and we were borrowers of then, and we had a lot of lending relationships there. And so that really started the crunch. When, you know, when your banker goes broke, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, you're going to wow us. But- but there was this new thing that came out called a global cash flow. And that's where you had to tell, it was a law, you had to tell all the bankers every, everything you owed before. You could just kind of fill out a credit app and say, well, I owe this. And, but they never really looked worried about cash flows. It was, it was a little bit more like uh, buying a car. Like, how much money do you make? Uh, 500000 That's yeah, right. sounds great. Yeah, exactly. And it was also, you know, you basically have to disclose every amortization schedule, on every single application from that point on, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything, and there would be no career because if banker A knew that I owed banker B ten times more than <laughs> aggressive amortization schedule, then you know, they never, it was the don't ask, don't tell, right? But but when that global cash flow came, came out, cash flow, it was it was uh, everybody. It was like you were being audited yeah. on all your past deals to see if there's a path to go forward for the next one. Yeah. And before that, it was, you know, I could go to Bank B and say, hey, I've got a piece of property. It's worth $100,000. i will give you twenty grand down. Can I borrow eighty? 
They go, yeah, let's get an appraisal and it would appraise for a hundred or whatever. And they say, yeah, that's a safe loan. Never into the consideration of the depths, how how they had to drill down deep to say, where's your cash flow coming to make that payment? And is that just because people abused the system? Yeah, there was yeah. some of that. And, and there was, um, there was a lot of abuse in that. Um, I always laugh. Uh, Aristotle always said, borrow all you can, always pay it back and always have a suntan. Now that was not the philosopher Aristotle. That was, I think, Jackie Onassis, who was inherited hundreds of millions. But, yeah. but, but the the key is, you know, you as an entrepreneur, you have to borrow. Yes, you have to take risks because you you can never leverage that little tiny bit of money that you may have. You know, if you have ten dollars in your pocket, if you're really good at leveraging, you can go buy a hundred dollar deal. Yep. But if you're not, you're buying two pieces of bubble gum, and that's it. Yep. Unless you're doing like a peer services based company where you can leverage yeah. your knowledge to do that. And, but eventually there'll come a point where you need to grow, hire employees, mm-hmm. get an office, buy right. a building, do a build out, get some equipment. And so you got to get comfortable with taking on some debt. And, right. Uh, you know, there's a ton of different ways that we've talked about on this podcast through SBA lending to, you know, commercial lending to land loans to yada, yada, you name it. Um, you told me a great story about. You thought you needed to have a real estate license. I'd love oh, to share oh that's story. so funny. I, I did tell you that story. That's, that's a awesome. great story. So Vicky and I were newlyweds in Greeley, and and uh, I was selling cars and trucks in the day, and I really loved real estate. And so I signed up for the $39 all-you-can-eat real estate classes down in <laughs> some dusty crap hole down in downtown Greeley. And so there was me and three or four other guys Sitting in there, and this is old school. This is like going to driver's ed. You like, had to like actually be in the class, right? Samson, you had to. You you literally had a square tube TV in the corner, <laughs> a guy smoking cigarettes in the corner of his instructor, and you push the eight track tape in the VHS, yeah. and you do lesson one, and then you'd write down right. And so we're doing these lessons, and I'm like the worst student in the world. Right? I I'm intolerant of of being a student and. So I'm doing these classes, and I'm probably, I don't know, two, three weeks into it, and they get to some chapter, and the chapter was, when do you, when can you do transactions, but you do not need a real estate license? And so we're, you know, and I'm just writing my notes, and I, yeah, I'm just biding my time. And I really don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, but I'm, you know, I'm 25 years old, and I'm broke, and I better do something. <laughs> you and, do what everybody does when there's yeah. a downturn, and they get fired, they go get their uh-huh. real estate license. Exactly. So I, I that we're playing that tape and it's in this black and white TV in the corner. And Hey, not dating myself. There was color TVs, but not at this place. This was a, this was a whole. So, so it says, well, if you only do real estate deals on your own properties, you don't need a license. And I woke up from a dead slumper and I go, Hey, replay that. So I played that. So I asked the guy, I stopped the class. I go, how, how, what do you mean? And he goes, well, if you're only working on your own property that you own, you do not need a license to sell it. And I'm like, see you later, bye. Yeah. And he goes, well, do you own property? I go, no, I'm going to go buy something, and then I'm going to work on it. So that's what I did, yeah. That was the day you became a real estate investor. <laughs> yeah. So how long after that till you did your first deal? So have you seen the the bartender plaques that said, you know, yesterday I couldn't even spell bartender, and now I are one? Yeah. That's, that's my real estate <laughs> career, yeah. Now I are one. But uh, um, so we – oh, it wasn't long up. I found a piece of property in West Greeley, and uh, it was six a, months. It, it a was a hundred grand. No, probably two weeks. Oh wow! 
Yeah. Now, you got to remember, this is mid-'80s. There are for sale signs everywhere. The economy's terrible. Savings and loan crisis. Yeah. The crash, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. So there was stuff everywhere. And and uh, so it was actually right by the Boomerang Golf Course. And uh, there had been a sign on this property for 100 years. It was just falling over. And <laughs> you know, long story short, we put together song and dance and talked to bank into loan us a little bit and put a little bit of money down. And within... Six months, I had a piece of it sold off, carved up. Um, I annexed it. I zoned it. Did all that stuff. Learned all that, and you know, just one one to the next. That's it. So, there's a lot of people that listen, and you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, own a business, I think everybody, some level, aspires to be able to do a development. They just think it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. What did you learn in that first project? You know, going through your first entitlements and annexing it in and like right. what was the hardest part of that so so there's a lot of soft with that so the hard part of it is the real estate and when i don't when i say soft and hard i'm being descriptive the soft costs are those things that that the civil engineering the mm-hmm. design you know the hard is buying the land is putting in the streets those kind of things right but the soft cost was shocking because i didn't think it would cost that much and, you know, again, we didn't have any money, so we're talking some civil engineer and some surveyor into, hey, when we sell it, we'll pay you, one of those type of deals. But again, you know, the economy was terrible and everybody was starving and, you know, any work's better than no work. Right. So so uh, that's kind of how it worked. But you, you get better at things as you, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're blocking or tackling, you get better the more you practice. And so right. um, the entitlement side right now is so much harder than it was. Excuse me. When I was starting, because is that it, just the municipalities are difficult to work with? Well, I don't think it's really that they're that much more difficult. It's just that the plethora of of uh, input is so much different. Like when I started, there was no internet. Yeah. Right. So you're you're you have a fax machine, or you're hand walking a letter, or you're you know, and so you wait for the mail to come back. You rip open the envelope. It's got a stamp on it that came from a week ago, and Right. You get the answer, or you're driving down there and you're sitting in front of a guy's office trying to get an answer. And um, and today everything's instantaneously. But the other part of that is, it's also instantaneously for opposition for the NIMBYism. And there's there's um, the internet has caused a, a interesting anomaly that where you, where you can be a complete hater of a project and completely remain anonymous. Yes, and you can not tell truths. And you can cause fear and hysteria over something that's really not there. Right. And there's nothing I, as the guy sitting on the other side of the table, being the developer, you know, hey, he's going to kill every eagle in Windsor. <laughs> right? I'm, well, it was, you know, that's, that's what they do. Or the traffic's going to be so bad. Or the kids are going to die on the crosswalks. Or so on and so forth. And they don't have to put their name to it, and then they can just start all this innuendo and yeah. and uh, start a petition and start a referendum and do all these things. And so the entitlement process gets harder and harder every day. We were laughing um, about <laughs> your name came up today because we were talking about this building that we're in. Mm. And uh, we were just joking about when they built the building that we're in right now, how cheap it was. I think they got the dirt at like. Two dollars and sixty four cents a square, or something. Right, right. About the one across the way for like a buck twenty. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking about just how difficult it was back then. That was like probably like ten years ago, twelve years ago. Mm-hmm. And he said every day I went into that office, there was somebody in there 
bitching about Martin Lindy. <laughs> I told him you were coming on the podcast. Yeah. We, we just had a chuckle about it. Yeah. But you be, you got to have some thick skin to be a developer and be Oh, beginning. for sure. Yeah. You know, it's just part of the territory. You've done a really good job of that. I, I remember the very first time, long before I ever met you, and it was actually the, the project that we just talked about at the outset of this. You've kind of had initially laid that plan out. Right. And there's so much conflict between Windsor and Loveland and Fort Collins and who got the tax revenue. and Right. The only person that was losing was your name. They just got everybody throws Martin's name, you know, under the bus to make themselves look better. Right. And you just stuck with it. I mean, that shit, that must have been 10 years ago. Right. You've been working for a long time to just get that that big project over the line. How long has it been? So we started, I basically started my career about 30 years ago, 35 yeah. years ago. And when did you start this big proj- project over here at the uh, Budweiser, the new development? So we started the brands, we called it. We originally was called called Eagle Crossing. Yep. But when I got my partners bought out of that, I started, I changed it to the brands. And it was kind of a plan words. Yep. You know, Nike, Under Armour, Louis Vuitton brands at the ranch because it was going to be a big retail center. Yep. And, uh, you know, we built out maybe four or five little tiny pad sites, you know, come and goes, Wendy's. Car wash. Yeah. But we've held the core property where the brands itself, where the lifestyle center goes, we've held it intact. Yep. And it's been, oh shoot, 15 years. Yeah. So. Holding, holding on to it, paying property taxes, yep. paying interest on the loans, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so if you're, you want to be a developer, you want to get in that game, like right. patience is a virtue. Yeah. The, the joke is if you want to make a small fortune in development, start with a large one. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> it's been a wild one. I, I will tell you though, uh, I, I would have never got in land development originally, had I had some sophistication enough to know what the tax consequences are. Because it's a tough business on taxes. there's no depreciation. Well, and you, as a developer, you're called a dealer by the IRS code. So so when when you buy a property, divide it up, chop it up, sell it, you're ordinary income, just like a paycheck. So you're, by the time you got state and federal and everybody, it's 45%. Right. Whereas if you're just an investor, you get capital gains and you're down at the 20%. But so, if you hold the land all the way through, develop it, you then you can depreciate it on, you know, accelerate. Well, yeah, and you and you get, you know, all of your expenses, you get your basis up in it, which helps a little bit. But but the development business is hard because you get a loan paid off and you borrow back on that same property, pay your taxes a year later. Yeah. So it was <laughs> it's been quite the squirrel cage, I can promise you that. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, but the brands itself, I you know, I see big things. And it's like I talked at the beginning and with you, I, there are things that I'm doing right now that really aren't for me and my family. They're for Northern Colorado. And if I don't see it through, I don't think it'll affect my life. But I think that we have grandiose opportunity in Northern Colorado to glue everybody together, yes. to have that gathering place, to have that giant. I just think that Northern Colorado is better than almost everywhere else on earth. So I want to bring the best to Northern Colorado. And that and that's in projects. That's in land planning. That's in, you know, uh, um, I I get disrespectful when I go someplace that isn't doesn't have near the dynamics of Northern Colorado, and they have better things than us. They have better airports. They have better FBOs. They have better terminals. They have better water park hotels. They have better arenas. And I'm going, huh? We deserve better. We're better than them. So that's what that's a lot what we're working for. I love that heart. Um, you know, uh, can we can we dig in on 2008? You know, I know you sure. talked about that a little bit. Yeah. And uh, 
I think one of the lessons that our audience can really take away from that is just choosing partners wisely and you find out people's real colors when it gets hard, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah. would you kind of frame it up like, you know, leading into 2008 and then everything, the wheels kind of falling off yep. and then getting so, to that? So chronologically, it's interesting being in Windsor, spring of 2008, May 22nd, we got hit with a tornado. Mm. We don't get tornadoes in Windsor, right? You know, Kansas gets tornadoes. We don't get that. Yep. And that tornado actually went backwards. It kind of started whirling around Fort Morgan, came up through Platteville, went through Windsor, um, hit Laramie, and then went back to the east. Um, and I was out on the golf course in a sheriff's tournament during that tornado, and I uh, was golfing with uh, Ed Jordan, the, the uh, then Well County Sheriff, and it was all first responders in our parking lot. And this hailstorm just starts coming. We didn't know it was a tornado. It was hail. And so we all headed to the maintenance shop at Pelican Lakes and and I literally watched a John Deere cab glass tractor get peeled to the ground by two-inch hail. Wow. And, you know, if that tornado had slid a quarter mile to the west, we'd all be dead because it would have gone right over where we were at. We didn't have any shelter. Yeah. thought it was a hailstorm. So all of a sudden, all these sheriffs and all these first responders, pagers start going off and their phones are ringing. And and uh, it's this thing, right? It's this crazy tornado. and. And so we can't get across the bridge to get back over across the river to go to the clubhouse where all the cars are because a tree had been knocked over. So all of us are, I'm, I'm like peeling the glass off this tractor seat, getting the tractor out, moving the limbs, get across the bridge with the golf carts. Um, some of the cops and sheriffs had just run through the river. They, they left. They had emergencies going over. But they got to the parking lot, and all of their cars were demolished. Right? All the windows are down on their seats. It was crazy. It was crazy. And so um, that was it. So that's chronologically okay. That's May of two thousand. Right. So disaster. So every everything we have, all the windows are broke, the roofs are torn up, everything. Got, go to the middle of oh um, eight. Yeah, September eighth. Stock, stock market goes from fourteen to seven. Um, every every baby boomer or retiree that thought they were retiring just lost all their. Right, and then we have uh, it was a presidential election. Yep, uh, Obama gets elected. He has a completely different path of recovery than than what I think America had seen before. So everybody is kind of in this holding pattern of well, what's going to happen? Oil prices just plummeted. Yeah, um, and there was just really no hope. And now the FDIC is out here and they're taking down banks left and right. They shut down New Frontier Bank, the largest bank in Northern Colorado. And in all honesty, they should have. Yeah. That bank was out of control. Like that bank was so out of control. They were given unsecured lines of credit to me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But, but when that bank collapsed, it really hurt a bunch of the other little banks up here, the little farm bank or the little uh, independent banks. And, so, you know, that old fable, if you owe an awful lot of money when bad times come, you're screwed. But if you owe the bank, um, if you if you owe a little, you're screwed. If you owe a lot, the bank are screwed with you. Yes. That's kind of part of my success story is we were so heavily leveraged that we would have taken banks down with us if they would have not worked to negotiate a exit path. Crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And then... Through 11, all the way from 8, 9, 10, we just worked and worked and tried to, you know, find liquidity here, sprinkle it out amongst the bankers to keep them from killing us over here. And and uh, there was just no hope. So I, ca- I borrowed every penny I could. 
Um, we held an auction right here at the Embassy Suites. We we had every piece of property I had, whether I and I had some properties that were free and clear that the bankers were trying to get, but they really didn't have the rights to them yet. So I went to them all. I had 14 banks in my in my portfolio. I said, here's the deal. I'm all in. I'm going to put every single asset I have, and that's personal property and real. This stuff over here, I don't have any debt on. This stuff over here is leveraged. Whatever you are in my portfolio, Perry Pursuit of what I owe you, when this auction's over, you get that. And within, uh, I'm going to say, 10 minutes of the auction starting, I walked up to the auctioneer and said, hey, this thing's over. We had 800 people in the embassy suite. Wow. We couldn't get a dollar a square foot bid on developed land in front of Nordy's, one of the hottest restaurants in all of Colorado. We couldn't get a dollar foot. So you could buy an acre of land for 40 bucks and we couldn't get a bid for, for 40000 So, you know, we did two or three project or properties. I had uh, I had a Garth Brooks signed motorcycle Harley that I paid sixty grand for to charity deal, deal five years earlier. I put that up, and so we had that, and then some cars and stuff. And I was giving it to Honor Flight. It was, so we we're going to start out the auction with this really feel good charity, give it to the <laughs> veterans, make everybody you know get some tears going. And and I think oh, the I think the Harley brought six grand, and you know it was, it was just <laughs> like a complete a disaster, right? So we, I shut the auction down. I went back in the back and with the bankers and said, "Hey, you now know how deep the bowels are of this thing." Yeah. So, what what do you want to do? And it was all in, and it was probably the best thing I ever did because um, we, uh, it was so bad, it was such a failure that the bankers were just as scared as I was. I mean, it was just like, "What are we going to do? There's no market." So we can foreclose Martin, but who are we going to sell it to? <laughs> yeah, we're stuck on the right. Bank. And we're I, in the business of debt, not in the business yeah. of uh, owning real estate. And I, I made him a deal. I said, "I'll mow it. I'll, I'll give you a hundred percent of the cash flow or the liquidity out of anything. I won't take a penny, but we got to do a forbearance." And you know, for the most part, most of them did. Some of them wouldn't, and so we figured out a way to navigate that. But all of them got paid a hundred percent, and that land is really valuable now. Hundred percent. What was yeah. the biggest lesson in that that you took away? Um, arrogance and cavalier personal guarantees will get you. Be very cautious of that. I just thought I had the Midas touch. And, yeah, I've got plenty of equity over here, so if I sign another note over here. And some of the notes I was signing were for partnerships where I'm 100% personally guaranteed and I only own 10%. Oof. And part of that was, you know, I, I grew up without anything, so I didn't want my friends to not have that opportunity with me. So they wanted to start something, and I'd co-sign and, and, uh, you know, you asked about um, when a recession hits, about the character of men. And my attorney would always say, Martin, uh, a character's man, uh, his integrity is tied to his liquidity. As soon as he can't, you'll find out what, where his integrity is. Yeah. And I had all the excuses. Well, my wife won't let me. Well, I can't do this. Well, I got to, you know. And so well, I got, I was the last man standing. Yeah, people were filing bankruptcy left and right. Question on that. Would, would you still partner up with somebody and lend money, but just in a different structure? Like, hey, I'm going to take the lion's share. I'm bringing the money, so I'm taking 80%, and yeah. you get 20%. Would you? No. No. But what I would do is I would do everything I can to help them with either expertise, relationships, or secrets. Yeah. But I don't need to be any more partners. Yeah. Um, I'd even a even a partnership where I'm ninety nine percent and one other guy's one. That's one more meeting. That's one more accounting. That's one more 
tax filing. That's one more thing that I just don't I don't want to do that. So we're yeah, we're at the point where um I'm I'm doing mentorship and partnerships with my kids. Um so we're doing quite a bit of that. But um I just don't want to be I, I don't need more. I don't ever have a desire to have this giant billion dollar company. I don't that's not my goal. Yeah. Um doing projects for Northern Colorado, that's my goal. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. If you um if you weren't doing real estate, would you do something different? You could have your choice. You could just do anything. Yeah, I don't think my modeling career would work. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. So, I, I I love aviation. Yeah. So I'd probably be doing something in aviation, like yeah. flying or owning jets. Or yeah, something. or dealing them or something. But I love aviation, and that's why I'm so passionate about this airport. Yeah, it's, I know this, our airport up here is terrible. It's it's horrible, and it needs to be so much better, and we deserve better. Yeah. We have more people in northern Colorado than Colorado Springs does. Yeah. And if you go to the Colorado Springs airport, you'll see an amazing dynamic thing. And if you come up here, you see a strip of concrete and a bent-over chain-link fence. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's one of my things. It's a pet peeve of mine, and everybody knows it. Yeah, no, I love I love that somebody's taking charge on that and somebody that can actually get it done. I don't know. I'd, I don't know which one. It's a test of attrition. I don't know who's going to win. <laughs> Was there ever a time— uh, when it got really hard, where you thought about getting a job? Um, you know, I had a family meeting back in uh, 08, 09, 010, somewhere in there with all my kids and my wife, and we sat around the table. I said, you guys, you know, it's it's the lot, odds of me surviving all this, keeping our house, that is almost zero. So just be ready. And I told them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can. I'm going to try to outwork and outthink, but the odds of me surviving this deal. I'm just too heavily personally guaranteed. And, uh, you know, I, it's, I'm a steward. That's how I see it. Um, and I just feel that God wanted me to stay here mm-hmm. and be the janitor to clean it all up because everybody else left. Yeah. Yeah. So how was that on your, your family going through that? Did easy, you, easy. Yeah, like, you, like, we didn't have expectations. I mean, we have a great life. We have great clothes. We have uh, ability to go on trips and vacations. But, you know, there was no expectation of opulence. Yeah. Like everybody goes, okay, well, we got to, uh, I'm going to go farm or I'm going to go we'll figure grab a shovel. Yeah. Nobody had a silver spoon hanging out that they're afraid they were going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pivoting kind of to the future. Uh, what do you see as the biggest challenges ahead of you, our economy, our nation, on a go-forward basis right now? Um, so I told you the entitlement side, it's tough, yeah. right? It's tough. So we're trying to take our companies and, you know, I've always expanded the footprint, developed it, sold it off, start the HOAs, do all that. We're We're getting away from that. We're going to stay underneath the tent, we call it now. And we're going to develop hospitality. Mm. I think Northern Colorado is one of the greatest resort areas in the world, but nobody's built a resort. So yeah. we, we want to do that. We want to bring that. Um, we're building snowmaking, the tubing. We've got 45 holes of golf. We've got 500 acres of fishing and boating. Yep. So we want to bring all of that, gather together in one bucket, and start this family resort, corporate retreat thing. So, But I think the question was, was uh, where, where are we going? Or are the challenges? Okay. Yeah. You know, the challenges of today are the, the entitlement process is so hard. 
and it's so risky because, uh, you know, a civil engineer, you could, on a 100-acre property, you could have three or $4 million in it and not know whether you're approved or not. Yeah. And, in the, and in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter, you could have a brand new thing come in. Um, one that comes to mind right now is FEMA, Federal Emergency. They, you know, they design all the floodplains. Yep. And they've just recently, in the last five years, come through and they've redecided where <laughs> floodplains are. Yep. Well, there are people, luckily, I'm ahead of that, but there are people that have their projects. Well, we're working on one. Yeah. Okay. Same thing. And, you know, five years ago, there was, wasn't even a floodway there. And now all of a sudden, you're going, well, where'd that come from? Because I don't think, I don't see any arc around here. I don't see 40 <laughs> days of rain. But uh, Noah's on out but the you can have an engineer at FEMA and arbitrarily and capriciously just go draw or put a new data point in and it changes everything. So that's a big risk. And the problem with the federal side of it is it isn't like you can drive down to downtown Loveland or Windsor and have a meeting. I mean, right. it's D.C., so there's not much accountability to the locals. I think that just has to do with all the bloat in the federal, you know, government well, business. tell me the last time you saw a little local business go broke. Yeah. About an hour ago. Yeah. When was the last time you saw them shut down a government program? Yeah. Never. They're ramping them up. Never. And and job security in that, and no disrespect to anybody that would be listening that's a federal employee, I don't, I, I don't judge you for that's that. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But the, the point is, is the only way— to get ahead, if you take the federal employment or the state employment path, is to get that CPI increase every year and keep your job. Yes. And when, when projects are cut or there's no tax revenue anymore for everything, that's when the risk comes. So if your job's justified, man, you got a job. Mm. And so it, it's, it's a brutal process. And regulation is really rampant right now. There's all kinds of employer regulation. Yep. It's hard to be an employer right now. Oh, yeah. It's hard. It's very hard. Well, I know you're super excited about, obviously, the Brands Project. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, what else are you most excited about right now? So so for, for Northern Colorado, we're working on Rain Dance. And Rain Dance, uh, we're going to build a resort up there, and it's going to have cottages and A-frames, and we're building the snow. I mean, it's kind of funny. Before it snowed in northern Colorado, we had the only snow up here. And you, could, could, see you could see it from Cheyenne. It was hilarious. You could wow. see that hill. But we tested all that equipment this year. It works perfect. Um, we're going to uh, build a world-class little ski slope over there. So we're going to have lifts. We're going to have uh, tubing. We're going to have snowboarding. And uh, we'll put hotels. And so we'll have that as our wintertime. Because right now we don't really have much outdoor winter here in northern Colorado. No. And so we'll have that. Is that really a vent? It's going to be an anthill. Will that be like, just for people who live in that community? No, no. That's open. You know, we're going to be, it's a business. It's a yeah. resort business. Cool. And then we'll have, uh, obviously, summertime, all the golf. Um, I think most exciting to me is just bringing this this next level of family entertainment to Northern Colorado. Yeah. A new arena for the Eagles. That's uh, that's a big, big thing that I think so there's been a half, excuse me a half a million people moved to northern Colorado since we started the Colorado Eagles. Uh, we were sold out year one. We're sold out right now. Yep. And I don't want to run the model where we just keep increasing ticket prices until the threshold's so painful that new people can get in. Right. So the model for me is let's let's build a new building, get more seat people there, bigger stadium. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we'll we'll end with this. We're actually coming up on an hour. So no impressive. way. Yeah. Um, 
What is your best content recommendation book or resource that you think every entrepreneur should consume? Well, that's easy. The Bible. Yeah. Walk, walk, <laughs> right. Walk the right. Timeless. Timeless. Well, well, for sure, because you know it's a timeless book, but it also gives you hope. Yes. And I can tell you, when you're in the bowels of a recession, or when you have people all over sending you certified mail, and there's nowhere to turn, now you can turn there. Yep. If it comes to a business book, um, way back there was a book called um, The Roaring Two Thousands, and I think. It would have come out in the mid-'80s, and it was an inspirational book for me because, again, I have a high school education, can't read my handwriting, can't, I, can, I can confuse the heck out of spell check, <laughs> but, but uh, it, it had a chapter in there about, you know, his, he was this visionary. Of, he was basically a statistician, and he had all of these stats lined out, and it was going to talk about the stock market hitting um, – at that time, yeah, it was called the Roaring 2000s. And at that time, he had predicted that the stock market would hit 20,000. And I think it might have been 1,400 at the time. Wow. Yeah. And and everybody just thought, you're crazy. That's yeah. insanity. But in that, I read a couple of things. One of them was if you work for a Fortune 500 company and you make over 90 grand a year, that was one of his stats. You had a ninety percent chance of being fired every year, and I might have that off a little bit. It might have been ninety five thousand and ninety five percent chance, but there was a correlation. Close yeah, and and he, bear in mind, in nineteen eighty six, ninety five thousand was a huge salary. Yeah, you might as well have been making three hundred thousand dollars a year. Probably more. Probably realistically, probably that's like a million dollars salary right now. But I, I think that's very relative of how Fortune five hundreds work. You know, they they the tenured people that are making a lot of money. They either sell the company and then those people get cut out. Yep. Um, I mean, you can you can look in any corner of the earth and you'll find publicly traded companies that are big Fortune 500, and they're always either buying, selling each other, so that they can trim the top and bring in new, smarter people that will work for a tenth. Yes. And that's how it works, and that's just the way their models work. So that was one. So I go, well, I don't want to be that when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't want to work for forty years and then get fired. And then the other one was just that simple little investment in a single-family home where you have 20% of equity, you put it down, and you get somebody else to rent it. And then in 30 years, your mortgage is gone, and you have all that equity. Yeah. And it's that little it's – that, it's that reverse V of equity where you're chasing that piece. And that made a lot of sense to me because he would say, well, you're five. Instead of 20 grand of equity, you now have 40 grand. Borrow that back and buy two more homes. And so that was his model for entrepreneurship was just a one single family home. That's where you well, start. Probably coming up on another opportunity where you can start to play that game again because it's been hot, hot, hot for the last fifteen years. But yeah, yeah, I tell you what, I mean, I, I will tell you, there's the, all the fable: one man's trash, another man's treasure. Yes. Um, in the rubble is opportunity. There will always be opportunity. Yes. I, I mean, it doesn't matter whether the market's going crazy or whether it's going terrible. Opportunity is needs to be sniffed out like a bloodhound, but there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah, I love that. It's great. I know a gentleman in Fort Collins that that never he he doesn't have any employees. He's very wealthy, and he never develops. He makes so much money on the boom on the bust, mm. and he says, "Martin, you work. You have all these employees. You work and you put streets in and you do all this work, and I don't do any of that. I just wait for the bust, and then I go buy the stuff that you developed at a pennies on the at dollar. Pennies on the dollar, and I just write it back up." Yeah. So that's the opportunity. But the problem with that one is that's he's liquid. 
right? You yeah. Do, you have to be liquid. Got to be liquid, extremely patient. Yeah. Those cycles run, at least in our current fiat money environment, run every eight to 10 years. Right. Could go even longer like the last one, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Could go even longer after the Fed throws more money at it. It's know? unbelievable what's going on right I now. Mean, we're, yeah. we're pushing 14 years now. Right? Yeah. So yeah. who knows? But um, yeah, you got to. There's there's a million ways to make a million bucks. I guess is a way to right. put it. Right. Um, last last two questions here. Okay. What do you think separates those people who become ses- successful entrepreneurs from those who give up, quit, or never get started? So so that one's the simple part is there is no such thing as getting rich quick in any industry. Yeah. Um, work work ethic. Outwork, outthink everybody around you. I tell my kids all the time, when I was in high school, I think the prevailing wage was probably two bucks an hour. Yeah. And I keep hating to date myself, but it's kind, <laughs> of, it's kind of gross. I don't want to think of myself that old man. But but it was more than that because nobody had anything. So if I went to any place to work, I had to work like a dog to outwork my peer group because everybody's working. Showing up early, staying late, not taking lunch, sweating more more blisters. Um, in today's world, if you want to work just a little bit harder than your peer group, you float to the top. Yeah. If you want to be there a little bit earlier, if you want to be there a little bit more on time, a little less truancy, a little less whining, you float to the top. Cause right now the work um, ethic out there is really bad. Yeah. And I think it's our fault. I think it's my generation's fault. Yeah. We, I'm going to agree with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we raised a bunch of spoiled brats like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's uh, you. You have to. My day, you had to work like a dog. So, I tell the kids, all you got to do is work a little bit harder, and you'll float to the top, and you'll get the attention yeah. of whoever it is up there that wants you to lead that next tribe. Yeah. So good. Do you have any words of wisdom for the aspiring entrepreneur who's thinking about taking the entrepreneurial leap? So you got to be very comfortable with being lonely, because. When you work at a place and you you have water cooler talk and you you have camaraderie and you get invited to go out for FAC or when you're entrepreneurial, you don't have that. Right. You are that. You have to create that. You have to um, you have to gather. You have to gather people. You have to gather ideas. You have to get, and it's all on you. So you have to be comfortable with being lonely because sometimes at the end of the week there's nobody around. Yeah. Um, you have to be super comfortable with risk. Like if you don't sleep at night <clears throat> because you have something on the table that's risky, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And that isn't just real estate. That's anything. Any business. Like you can have a boat dealer, and if you don't sleep at night because you have too much on your floor plan, you shouldn't be a boat dealer. Yep. If you sleep at night with confidence and you wake up in the morning and that alarm clock goes off and you can't wait to get wherever that is you're going, you're right where you're supposed to be. Mm, yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing to just unpack that's been incredibly helpful for me is having a group of men that share the same core values, right. walking through life together. Right. Because it is, it's incredibly lonely. And and that's the best part that's come out of this group is some of my great friends and people right. that I get to do business with and impart wisdom from have come out of that group. So I would encourage anybody who's listening to this to, to find something similar to that. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, buddy. That's our time. Awesome. It was fun. I appreciate you being here. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again. And next time we'll be talking about the Brands Project. Right on. Done and approved. Hopefully we'll see cranes over there pretty quick. I'd love to see that.